0: Chapter fourteen of Gunman's Reckoning by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The lantern went out in the tent. She was asleep, and when he knew that, donnegan went down into the corner. He had been trying to think out a plan of action, and finding nothing better than to thrust a gun stupidly under Landis's nose and make him mark time, donnegan went into LeBron's place as if he hoped the bustle there would supply him with ideas. LeBron's was going full blast. It was not filled with the shrill mirth of Milligan's. Instead, all voices were subdued to a point here. The pitch was never raised. If a man laughed, he might show his teeth, but he took good care that he did not break into the atmosphere of the room. For there was a deadly undercurrent of silence, which would not tolerate more than murmurs on the part of others. Men sat grim face over the cards. The man who was winning, with his cold, eager eye, the chronic loser of the night, with his iron smile, the professional, ever debonair, with the dull eye which comes from looking too often and too closely into the terrible face of chance, a very keen observer, might have observed a resemblance between those men and Donnegan. Donnegan roved swiftly here and there. The calm eye and the smooth play of an obvious professional in a linen suit kept him for a moment at one table, looking on. Then he went to the games, and after changing the gold which Jack Landis had given as alms to silver dollars, he lost it with precision upon the wheel. He went on from table to table, from group to group. In LeBron's his clothes were not noticed. It was no matter whether he played or did not play. Whether he won or lost, they were too busy to notice. But he came back at length to the man who wore the linen coat, and who won so easily. Something in his method of dealing appeared to interest Donnegan greatly. It was jackpot. The chips were piled high, and the man in the linen coat was dealing again how deftly he mixed the cards. Indeed, all about him was elegant, from the turn of his black cravat to the cut of the coat. An inebriate passed, shouldered, and disturbed his chair, and rising to put it straight again, the gambler was seen to be about the height and build of Donegan. Donegan studied him with the interest of an artist. Here was a man harking back to Nelly Lebron and her love of brilliance, Who would probably win her preference over Jack Landis for the simple reason that he was different. That is, there was more in his cravat to attract astonished attention in the corner than there was in all the silver lace of Landis. And he was a man's man, no doubt of that. On the inebriate he had flashed one glance of fire, and his lean hand had stirred uneasily toward the breast of his coat. Donnegan, who missed nothing, saw and understood. Interested, he was fascinated by this man, because he recognized the kinship which existed between them. They might almost have been blood brothers, except for the differences in the face. He knew, for instance, just what each glance of the man in the linen coat meant, and how he was weighing his antagonists. As for the others, they were cool players themselves, but here they had met their master. It was the difference between the amateur and the professional. They played good, chancy poker. But the man in the linen coat did more. He stacked the cards. For the first moment Donegan was not sure. It was not until there was a slight faltering in the deal, an infinitely small hesitation, which only a practised eye like that of Donegan's could have noticed, that he was sure. The winner was crooked. Yet the hand was interesting, for all that. He had done the master trick not only giving himself the winning hand, but also giving each of the others a fine set of cards. And the betting was wild on that historic pot. To begin with, the smallest hand was three of a kind, and after the draw, the weakest was a straight, and they bet furiously. The stranger had picked them with his consistent victories. Now they were out for blood. Chips having been exhausted, solid gold was piled up on the table a small fortune. The man in the linen coat, in the middle of the hand, called for drinks. They drank. They went on with the betting, and then, at last, came the call. Donnegan could have clapped his hands to applaud the smooth rascal. It was not an affair of breaking the others who sat in. They were all prosperous mine-owners, and probably had been carefully selected, according to the size of purse, in preparation for the sacrifice but the stakes were swept into the arms, and then the canvas bag of the winner. If it was not enough to ruin the miners, it was at least enough to clean them out of ready cash and discontinue the game on that basis. They rose. They went to the bar for a drink. But while the winner led the way, two of the losers dropped back a trifle and fell into earnest conversation, frowning. Donegan knew perfectly what the trouble was, They had noticed that slight faltering in the deal. They were putting their mental notes on the game together. But the winner, apparently unconscious of suspicion, lined up his victims at the bar. The first drink went hastily down. The second was on the way. It was standing on the bar. And here he excused himself. He broke off in the very middle of a story, and telling them that he would be back any moment, stepped into a crowd of newcomers. The moment he disappeared, Donnegan saw the other four put their heads close together, and saw a sudden darkening of faces. But as for the genial winner, he had no sooner passed to the other side of the crowd and out of view than he turned directly toward the door. His careless saunter was exchanged for a brisk walk, and Donnegan, without making himself conspicuous, was hard-pressed to follow that pace. At the door, he found that the gambler, with his canvas sack under his arm, had turned to the right toward the line of saddled horses which stood in the shadow. And no sooner did he reach the gloom at the side of the building than he broke into a soft, swift run. He darted down the line of horses until he came to one which was already mounted. This Donnegan saw as he followed somewhat more leisurely and closer to the horses to avoid observance. He made out that the man already on horseback was a big negro, and that he had turned his own mount and a neighboring horse out from the rest of the horses, so that they were both pointing down the street of the corner. Donegan saw the negro throw the lines of his lead horse into the air. In exchange he caught the sack, which the runner tossed to him, and then the gambler leaped into his saddle. It was a simple but effective plan. Suppose he were caught in the midst of a cheat. His play would be to break away to the outside of the building, shooting out the lights if possible, trusting to the confusion to help him. And there he would find his horse ready for him at a time when a second might be priceless. On this occasion, no doubt, the clever rascal had sensed the suspicion of the others. At any rate, he lost no time. He waited neither to find his stirrups, nor grip the reins firmly. But the same athletic leap which carried him into the saddle set the horse in motion, and from a standing start the animal broke into a headlong gallop. He received, however, an additional burden at once. For Donnegan, from the second time he saw the man of the linen coat, had been revolving a daring plan, and during the poker game the plan had slowly matured. The moment he made sure that the gambler was heading for a horse, he increased his own speed. Ordinarily, he would have been noted. But now, no doubt, the gambler feared no pursuit, except one accompanied by a hue and cry. He did not hear the shadow-footed Donegan racing over the soft ground behind him. But when he had gained the saddle, Donegan was close behind, with the impetus of his run to aid him. It was comparatively simple, therefore, to spring high in the air, and he stuck fairly and squarely behind the saddle of the man in the linen coat. When he landed, his revolver was in his hand, and the muzzle jabbed into the back of the gambler. The other made one frantic effort to twist around, then recognized the pressure of the revolver, and was still. The horses, checking their gallops in unison, were softly dog-trotting down the street, Call off your man," warned Donegan, for the big negro had reined back, the gun already gleamed in his hand. A gesture from the gambler sent the gun into obscurity, yet still the fellow continued to fall back. Tell him to ride ahead. Keep in front, George. And not too far. Very well. And now? We'll talk later. Go straight on, George, to the clump of trees beyond the end of the street and ride straight, no dodging. "'It was a good hand you played,' continued Donnegan, taking note that of the many people who were now passing them, none paid the slightest attention to two men, riding on one horse and chatting together as they rode. It was a good hand, but a bad deal. Your thumb slipped on the card, eh? "'You saw, eh?' muttered the other. And two of the others saw it, but they weren't sure till afterward.' I know, the blockheads, but I spoiled their game for them. Are you one of us, pal?' But Donnegan smiled to himself, for once at least. The appeal of gambler to gambler should fail. Keep straight on, he said. We'll talk later on. End of chapter 14